theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like an old paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer at McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? They get the metric system. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. What is up, my friend? It automatically logged me in under my name. Maybe after doing this for like 30 <laughs> the the program that we record under finally realized who I was. Oh, I know who you are. That's that's it's become the Terminator has recognized you. You know who I am. The listeners <laughs> know who I am. My name is Adam. You can find me on Twitter at Millennial Sox. That's Tony. My better half. You can find him on Twitter at Chelsea One. What's going on, my man? Not much. Very excited. Got a lot of good topics tonight. Got a lot of good topics. Another week where we might uh, talk too much and skip over Kevin Bacon. Hey, that's okay. We keep pushing Bacon. <laughs> Bacon's always the last go-to if we got time. <laughs> Not a whole lot of new movies dropped since we last spoke at you, but we do got have got half. Who cares? No, they both sound good. Release a handful of new TV shows. Um, a League of Their Own recently dropped on Amazon Prime, so we're going to talk about that show as well as uh, the movie. She-Hulk recently dropped on Disney+, Plus, the latest iteration in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And a little show you might have heard of called House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel. And at minimum, we are also going to discuss Daniel Craig's James Bond, five James Bond movies. So finally, Tony can be done with this bit. I am done. It is wrapped. But first, we got a movie battle. We start off every podcast with a movie battle. Instead of two movies, we got eight movies coming at you. You recently posted on Twitter. Was it from your account or the, the, the Hookup 18 account? It was the Hookup 18 account. Make sure you follow us there. Tony's always posting great stuff. We have a science fiction battle generated a lot of debate, a lot of good conversation on Twitter. Might as well bring it to the podcast. We got Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Back to the Future, Edge of Tomorrow, The Thing, Wall-E, District 9, Inception, and Aliens. Oh, that's James Cameron. That's oh, this is this is tough. I mean, I like all I like all what's this, eight movies. They're all classics. It's tough to narrow one down. I haven't seen any. The only Star Trek movies I've seen are the J.J. Abrams ones. Did you like those? The first one was really good. Uh, the second two were solid, but eh. This is the. This is pretty much the. Um, this is the like part two of the new ones this is like that version of part two it's got this is their con versus um uh, what's his name playing con um, quinto yeah no quinto plays um spock spock you're right you're right um you're right you're right uh dr strange is one no i'm wrong guy again no yeah dr strange uh benedict cumberbatch 
it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but uh, that was that was the whole thing in the in this the new the second of the J.J. Abrams trilogy where they're like, no, we swear Benedict Cumberbatch isn't playing Khan. <laughs> he's playing this other dude named Roberto Montalban. It's not Khan. I swear. <laughs> yeah, that was. That and was then cool. halfway through the movie, Benedict Cumberbatch goes, "My name is Khan," and we go like, "We fucking said this six months ago." Like, well, just 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 to to set it aside. I mean, Khan. Khan is really awesome. I mean, I like Khan a lot, but I mean, there's some really good movies on this list, and to me, Khan isn't even in the top four, so it's okay you didn't see that one. Did you see the rest of them? Yeah, I've seen the rest of them. Okay, so to me, this is tough because I have an affinity for basically all of these movies. I actually don't particularly care for the Aliens movies, but I do recognize like their greatness, mm-hmm. but that's like more of a personal preference thing. You know, that's a me thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. But to me, there I think because like I'm trying to like have to sort these movies, and I think there are three that are clearly better than the other five, and that's Back to the Future, The Thing, and Aliens. Well, yeah, I mean those are definitely, um, yeah. I mean Back to the Future, just because I think probably I mean one of the best. Um, yeah, The Thing and Aliens. I mean. District so, Nine, Inception, Wally, and Edge of Tomorrow are, are really good, but I don't know if they're at that level. Wally is like my f- hands down favorite Pixar movie. We probably should have done this last week when we were talking about Buzz Lightyear. Oh, yeah. uh, I realized I kind of dropped the ball on that. It doesn't matter. We talked about 10 million other things anyway. But Wally is my, like, my absolute favorite Pixar movie. I absolutely love it. I think it's genius. The fact that the first act I mentioned last time like doesn't have any dialogue i think it's it's great i just i mean it's like not i don't even want to say it's not real science fiction it's just if it doesn't feel as important or as good however you want to define it as those other three movies i mentioned well no and district nine district nine is like a great movie it got nominated for best picture during like once the academy first expanded i think it's great I I kind of think it's to me seven out of the seven I've seen, which is kind of saying I think a lot for this list. I think this is an excellent list. Oh, I think for the most part you can't go wrong. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I I agree with. That. I mean, I agree that uh, honestly, as great as District Nine is, I mean, for me the bottom's either going to be just because I don't watch it enough. It's a great movie, Wally and District Nine. Um, Inceptions just because of the filmmaking technology is why it's but. Is it really as good as those other three that you mentioned? I mean, I don't really think so. But that's when we, you know, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, when we were talking to Hans about our favorite '80s movies. Yes, yes. The movie I actually picked was The Thing, and I do love The Thing. But part of it is that like, I didn't want to be super obvious, because to me, like my all-time favorite movie of the '80s is probably Back to the Future. Yeah, I mean, that movie is. It, it's I great. mean, it's, it's so obvious, but that movie is so dope. That movie is so freaking good. Out of all these movies on this list, Back to the Future has what I would call you could play it any day, every day, and it doesn't get old. It's, it's never it's gotten old to me. It's easily the old. most rewatchable movie. Um, I mean, the thing is probably I would call the coolest movie. Um, and Aliens, I would say, is probably obviously the scariest of all these movies. But you know, I mean, Aliens is like you said. It's it's some people pick Alien over Aliens, so that's even a different debate. So that's why I think that one wouldn't be the best. I would go back to the future. 
but that's that, that's yeah, that's that's probably my pick. And we're gonna talk about you know Ridley Scott probably coming up with Alien. It's just I've only I haven't seen the Fincher one. I've only seen Alien and Aliens, and you know What's I saw it like in Lost School. And I've only seen it once, and so like I saw it pretty later in life, and I just I don't really revisit. I not don't really. I just. I haven't revisited those movies. Like those movies just don't mean as much to me as they do so many other people. And like I recognize their greatness. I I do. It's it's it is more of a personal preference. Like I have a good friend of mine who just absolutely like he saw those much younger and he absolutely loves those movies. And for like almost so many of the movie watching population are just they love those alien movies and you know we're gonna again i think when we talk i think we'll have time to talk about ridley scott hopefully we will oh yeah like i saw prometheus um i think i saw part of what it alien covenants but you know like prometheus i think is like really genius in its own right but it's that movie's absolutely not for me You get that was a good laugh. I like. I liked. I was waiting to see where you went with that. I like that. <laughs> but I mean, that, that movie is, is well, like let me put uh, obviously headier. Aliens. Let me put it to you this way: if you could sit down and watch, like, if you were to say, "Okay, you know, maybe I don't have time, but I'll watch Alien and Aliens," and you sit and watch them, and you could sit through them. To me, those are the scariest, some of the scariest movies of all time. And you say you don't like scary movies, so if you could sit through those movies and you're like, "Yeah, this was cool," and not offend, affected. I think your scary limit is actually a lot more than you could even say because I mean, Aliens to me is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Um, and it's more because it's mental for me. Imagining being out there on this planet with these aliens to me is just more scarier than like a Michael Myers or a Jason. But that's that's always just been me. Um, see, to me, the, the thing is the scariest movie. Oh, the thing is the scariest because that that's an alien. You're really, the you're really fuck out. Because me and you could be talking, like, right, you know. You always, it's always the joke, you know, you could always make that joke. You don't know who has the thing, you know, and that's what was cool about that movie. That's why I think the thing is two for me, Aliens would be three, Back to the Future one. But Edge of Tomorrow, though, I mean, that's a great movie on its own to talk about, I think. I have, that was my pick in the thread because I've basically everything else was taken. I absolutely love Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, I have so much time for that movie. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt are so good in that movie sneaky good it's a sneaky great it's not just good it's actually a great it's a great movie but also kind of like conception like it it has a, a cool um premise and then it just evolves into an action film like to me it's just mario is more action than science fiction well, yeah i mean, I mean it becomes it becomes that way definitely it's not like hardcore <sighs> just the the overall storyline i think but yeah i agree all right, but moving off of science fiction shows to a science fiction fantasy, or man, I fucked up the segue. Whatever, <laughs> we're talking House of the Dragon. Yes, House I assume you've Dragon. seen the you've seen the premiere. Heck yeah, I did. Uh, what are your thoughts? Honestly, I'll. This is this. Was, well, let me this, let me also say before I say, like, yeah. not only what are your thoughts, but what were your expectations going low. into it? My expectations were low. Why? I was, and I wasn't why because honestly. I don't know. The time has passed. Time has passed. And honestly, I wasn't really, it took me a couple episodes to even get into the whole thing to begin with. So it's like, oh, I don't know. Are they just milking this thing? But then the show starts. Okay. And really quick, the beginning of the show shows the dragon. At first, I'm not going to lie. I was going to make some jokes because I didn't think it looked so hot. 
But man, once that episode started going and getting it going, I thought it was really, really good first episode. That's personally. Um, compared to my expectations, which I thought were going to be low, I'm actually pretty excited to watch this show. How about you? My expectations, I think, were definitely higher than yours, but partially because I think I was at like a, a neutral. Like I wasn't super stoked by any stretch of the imagination, but I did have faith. Like George R. R. Martin, the creator of the books, was actually like involved in the writing process and involved in the creative process of this show. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that gives me hope. Um, I do have a lot of faith in HBO as like um, a TV churning production studio. Like they, they have really good tastes. So I was like, I will 100% give it a shot. My main concern, and I think I've said it on this podcast before, is that Dragons isn't what got me interested in Game of Thrones. And it's not what, like, why I stayed with Game of Thrones. To me, the more interesting aspects of it was its commentary on power. And, you know, there was this power vacuum that happened very early on. And what happened in this world, in this world where people are gaming for power? And, it, it, you know, despite, you know, the fantasy nature of it, and despite, despite the fact that it's basically like medieval times, you know, ostensibly. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it was like those people, and like, I don't really like sword and sandal stuff. Like, you and I have talked before that we're not big um, Lord of the Rings guys no. no and you know that's a show coming up and you know honestly was... though i will say the other day I, the tra- this trailer this looks really good and i go i bet this is the new lord of the rings um the trailer looks really good the one i saw the other day it was a newer trailer um but yeah i mean it's not our, my thing it's not your thing um I, you know i like gladiator the movie but i don't know if i like getting that deep that's why game of thrones was so crazy that i liked it as much as i did Hundred percent. Game of Thrones was such a different version, of such a a spin on this genre that got me and you and I think a lot of other people really invested in it. Um, so when it first was announced, I was kind of iffy. The first trailer, teaser trailer, I was like, eh. But then you know when we talked about it when the next trailer got released and like what the show actually is, and I think based on the premiere, what the show actually is is there's another power vacuum where the king, you know. All due respect to Patty Constantine. <laughs> Seems like he's going to go sooner rather than later. <laughs> and we're going to have this struggle between Matt Smith and um, I don't know the actress who plays Rhaenyra. I don't think she's yeah. famous or anything, but I was like, okay, I'm in. You know, when the, the dragon, I actually, I mean, the special effects, they get to me. I do think no, it was I mean, a less. Honestly, I think I started the show looking to make fun of it. And what it was, was right after that first shot, once they started talking, I'm like, this is going to be, I was I was interested. You know, I do think, considering the last time we as viewers saw a dragon over King's Landing, it was burning it to the ground. So I do think it was a nice nod, like, hey, here's a dragon um, yeah. and over this beautiful city. That's I do true. think that was a nice nod. Um, like I said, like, to me, even though it's a show called House of the Dragons, I don't, like... I want the actual dragons to be kept to a minimum. And I think to me, if the show is anything like what the premiere was, which, you know, you never know, then it's, it's fine because yeah. there, there was a lot of people talking in rooms. Oh, there was, there was a lot of talking. I mean, there wasn't that many dragons. I mean, I didn't right. really, I really want to watch it a second time, but from what I gather, there was not uh, that many dragons. 
I was actually not even going to really what it was was I wasn't even really I was like looking at my phone and by the end of it I put my phone down and actually really was like into the show um the actors all um really to me was what really got me there's actually a lot of actors on that show that are 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 really good so that always makes I think the show and I think that's what's going to make this show pretty good see so yeah like I'm really excited and you know we're going to talk about this a little bit with the next show is to me there was enough game of thrones dna the series within this show but it's still its own thing for me to get heavily invested like the scene where they were jousting like you definitely heard names popping up i was definitely like leonardo dicaprio and that gift from once a time once upon a time <laughs> in hollywood or i'm just snapping my finger and looking at the screen you know where yeah. they mentioned baratheon and stark oh. and tarly i was like i recognize those names oh yeah that's the that's the fun part of this show but it was like just enough in the background where it wasn't overly distracting or wasn't over overt fan service, but it was enough to get, you know, people like me who are a little bit more than casual fans and casual fans interested in it, get the hardcore nerds and people who do YouTube videos super into it. <laughs> and also like, I understand like based on game of Thrones and this world where these noble houses were, have been noble houses for generations upon generations you actually would have like it would have been a thing if like they didn't actually name drop Baratheon at least a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to because even me, I'm like, I mean, this is still at the beginning. I even missed the beginning because that's how much I wasn't paying attention. It said what did it say at the very beginning? Like a hundred and something years before Daenerys or something like. Yeah, that. it's like a hundred and seventy-four years or something before Danny was even born. Yeah. So like. I'm thinking like this is the, the when they talk about the Mad King and stuff, and this is even before that. Yeah, I was like talking to my wife about that. It's like, are we going to meet Danny? It's like, I, unless they go really far forward in time, I actually don't think so. No, I mean, Which is, but like, I'm thinking, you know, when I laid down at night, when I watched it at night, I started thinking like, they're gonna they're gonna stretch this into seven, eight seasons. I know they are. It's just how far is it going to go, and where are they going to go with it? Matt Smith is great, so. Yeah, so this is my concern trolling more than an actual concern, is that part of the fun on Game of Thrones, even though I didn't know anybody's name, there were 10 million players on the chessboard, yeah. and it was fun watching them get knocked off, knocked off, knocked off. Oh, here's a new guy getting knocked off. And right now, there aren't that many players. And right now, there's only two main players that are going to be coming for the throne once Patty Considine dies, um, Rhaenyra and Matt's, Matt's character. and. I don't know anyone's name, so like it's always going to be like by the act. Like I never knew anyone's names on Game of Thrones. Oh, like, I know. The eighth season, and like it's like I knew their name once they they died. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, I think it was it was it was a really good premiere. Um, I'm really excited for it. I mean, I want I have a Game of Thrones itch in my life, and right now it's it's scratching it. Yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't become a festering sore like on the one on King's Back, but. <laughs> I thought it was an excellent premiere and you know, it's like we just literally came off of better call Saul where I was like, this was an excellent prequel that was coming off of an excellent show. Uh -huh. It is possible to, to do this. Um, so far it's off to a great start. And even if it is more games of Thronesy than it's actually like, you know, it is more like game of Thrones than better call Saul, which ended up being its own thing. You know, well, fine yeah. by me. I just, uh, 
Well, I wonder if they're going to like, uh, like just keep moving it backward, like keep adding people to the story to make it more. Because like Olivia Cook, they didn't really introduce her in the show yet. What's she going to be doing? You know, there's a lot of players. Didn't she play the um, Riz Ifen's daughter? Did they show her? See, that could have been the part right. I know she's, 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 I think, isn't she the best friend of Rhaenyra? Yeah. But was she in the episode yet or no? Yeah, because she was. I, I thought so. Well, like, that's I, the thing is, like, some of these, I have to go back and really watch that first season of Game of Thrones to see how quickly they were introducing everybody. No, no, I don't she's, if, if Olivia Cook is the character that I think she is, she's she actually. She plays the daughter. She's Rise FN's daughter. Yeah, so she is in the episode a decent amount, but she's like the sidekick okay, to Rhaenyra. See, that shows you how much, like, in the parts she was in that I was paying attention to. I mean, the fights, the battles, um, a lot of the, 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 the talk, like, I, like, my favorite part was when Matt, uh, Matt's, I think, came into the King's Room or whatever. I mean, like, just seeing the King's Room and that, uh, you know, with all the swords and stuff, I thought that was cool. But you're right. I mean, we've got to see where this goes. It could... It could flat. It could, you know, pander out after an episode or two. You just don't know. I mean, secretly, Game of Thrones didn't have a very good pilot, um, even to the point where. So when you, my wife and I recently rewatched Game of Thrones because she had never seen, or I had recently rewatched it with her because she had never seen it. Um, and there's like they introduce so many characters. Like there's a scene where it's very clearly dubbed where Arya is talking to Sansa but it's like ADR um, where she's like introducing all of the Lannisters okay. because like they filmed the episode and they realized we never introduced Jamie Lannister and and um, well that's yeah that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of you know I remember that first season you know it took me a little while to kind of get, get going with it and secretly, it didn't like really get good until Ned Stark died. No, because then you realize, oh, that's what the show is. Which stunk because that's when I was like, I like Sean Bean, but I mean, he wasn't really a part of the show. Um, you know, necessity to be like upset about him not being on it. But, you know, I mean, th- I think it'll be okay. I think it'll be good. But, you know, the true tale, we'll see if it could last. If it could last. Yeah, I think you and I will end up revisiting it once season one comes to an end. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure throughout the season here, we'll be talking about the episodes as they go and stuff like that. And we, our, our, our happiness might go up and maybe it'll go down. We'll have to see. Yeah, and another show that recently got released that's based off of another intellectual property is uh, A League of Their Own. Um, I recently watched the Gina Davis, Tom Hanks movie before um watching the show uh-huh. and there's one thing like i've like that i just like i don't have a this is like my only form to say it i thought it was really funny so after they form a team and like tom hanks is just drunk chilling in the um in the dugout and madonna she's leading off the game and she gets a triple uh-huh. and marla comes out to bat so one they batted Marla, their best hitter, second. And I was like, good on you, Gina Davis, for knowing sabermetrics and batting <laughs> your best hitter, second. But then she does something stupid where she calls a sign for Marla to bunt Madonna in. So there's no outs and a runner on third, and she calls for a bunt. And this is where Tom Hanks goes, what are you doing? You have your best hitter at the plate, and you're wasting an out? 
don't call for a bun, call her for a swing away. And I was like, you know what? Maybe Tom Hanks is the real sabermetrician. <laughs> and I just, considering how much we know about baseball and baseball stats now, like I love that scene that came out in 1990, like two or three and set in the forties, but still has the wherewithal to know, like you don't waste an out and you so, always okay, should swing okay. away. I've got an argument about this and that we're, I just got a question. Did you, did you happen to watch the first batter of the game tonight? For the Orioles at bat. No, I didn't. I'm. He, I kind of stopped watching he, the soccer. They're so bad. He but he but he butted he butted for a hit. That was always my question. Like I like bunting, like to bunt a guy over, or if you think you could bunt that hit in, it's stupid. That was my always my question on the bunting thing. I was always wondering what you thought of that. So if you see the guy like Yon was way too far back, and the guy was speedy and fast. And if he could butt well, he bunted down the line and Young came in and couldn't field it. And he got on first and that ended up being one of the runs they scored. I mean, yes, the chances of him getting on base probably were lower, but he got on base. So in that instance, I definitely think it's generally bad because Cedric Mullins is a good batter and Yohan is actually a really good fielder. Mm -hmm. So, and it's the first play of the game. That seems like it's generally a wasted out. Now, I mean, just because it worked that time, I think that's still a bad process. Okay. That's but, always, I was curious. I mean, that makes sense. I just wasn't sure how, if it switches for to different things. But yeah, I mean, but, you know, it just happened to work out that time, but it might probably work out a lot less than work out for. There is also times where like, sometimes like I'm fine getting a sacrifice if it moves the runner over and the socks are just so bad at even doing stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like, there's a, it just seems to me like when there's a runner on second and no outs in the first nine innings of a game uh, for the White Sox, it's so hard for that guy to score. But when it's extra innings, all of a sudden that guy comes in super easily. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> I mean, I was, Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks, I mean, in that movie, you know, you're absolutely right about what you said about uh, when he screams that from the dugout. That was great. And I just, I just, I really wanted to say that part. I just, you know, for the two people who listen. I really always thought it was cool that they filmed some of that movie in um, Huntingburg, Indiana. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, And Evansville, Indiana, too. Um, Not many movies are filmed in Indiana. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy that they filmed that in Indiana. They got one of, uh, well, they need to show um, like a kind of rundown midwestern town so that's true i mean i guess that when you say it like that that does make sense uh how much of the how much of the show have you seen um i've watched a good i've watched a good part of it so you could all right so i've seen like the first five episodes i don't know how many if there's eight or ten i think i'm at the first four or something like that but so this is a show brought to you by uh in part by abby jacobson who also stars in it um are you familiar with abby jacobson like have you seen broad city Broad City? Uh, no, I have not. No, I have not watched that. So the first season, especially of Broad City, like I really enjoyed. But Abby Jacobson is one half of Broad City. It was this. The other half is Alana Glazer, which I'm sure you've also seen her in things. Oh yeah. It was a, a YouTube show that um, got really popular that Amy Poehler ended up bringing it to Comedy Central, and it had a good three, four, five season run. Glazer is one of my favorites. She's she's really good. I do like her. And Abby Jacobson, who I really liked on Broad City 
plays her exact same character in the league of their own show. And I, I get like why she would cast herself as the lead. Yeah. Um, this is not the right role for her. I feel like, I don't know. I really dislike Abby Jacobson's, the performance that she's giving in this particular part. It's that nervous energy she kind of brings is like great for a lot of other stuff and particularly broad city. Uh Um, I find it very distracting and not great for a league of their own. Oh Um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm looking here too. I was, I totally forgot about this in 93. Gary Marshall tried to do a television show on CBS and it did not work. And they brought some of those original characters like Tracy Reiner and John Lovitz was on it. Um, it didn't work out. Um, I love John Lovitz in the film, by the way, just doing John Lovitz stuff and being mean. I got to get you. I mean, I, I, I saw you liked it the other day. Um, there's a great Tales from the Crypt with uh, John Lovitz. John Lovitz is awesome. And he's awesome in League of Their Own. But I think I agree. I mean, the show to me, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what they're, why they're doing. I mean, I'm, I know why they're doing it, but I don't know why they're doing it type of thing. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it's proven IP, you know. People like me, like Amazon also has like yeah. their own movie. I clicked on the movie and then you know I'm watching part of the show. It's what I was implying at a little bit with House of the Dragon is I don't feel like there's enough DNA of the movie in the TV show. For starters, the crux of the movie is Gina Davis's character's relationship with her sister. Yeah. excuse me played by Lori petty and tom hanks as the coach yeah and there's absolutely none of that like basically you have a catcher played by abby jacobson who's i mean supposedly supposed to be nothing like gina davis but also like you know to his fans when you hear league of the own movie and someone's playing the lead and the the catcher you're just naturally going to compare to gina davis but regardless I feel like maybe they're trying to set up a relationship eventually like Gina Davis had with Lori Petty with Abby Jacobson and Darcy Carden and Darcy Carden, you know, from Barry and The Good Place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, so far, it's absolutely nothing like it. There's a lot of lesbian relationships, which is, you know, fine. I'm not judging, but even my wife was like, man, there are a lot of lesbians on this show, huh? Well, like, I'm still trying, like, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm still trying to just, again, understand why the show, I mean, like, is the show brought to bring new people? I mean, yes, I know. But like, when you're working in different, different storylines, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm. Yeah. It, it, it just feels like, Hey, Abby Jacobs. I would rather like... watch the movie, the original movie 10 times than watch 10 episodes, but that's yeah. probably why I'm probably not gonna, I don't know if I'll finish it. We'll have to wait and see. And, you know, they have Nick Offerman, who seems he's like awesome. it's like their own little version of uh, Jimmy Dugan. But then he, he like, leaves just as soon as he enters. Well, that's the thing is I think, you know, that some of these, they do a great job. The, the problem is, is that, um, like, uh, I, I'm always a big fan of Dale Dickey is her name. She plays, like, the um, the Rockford Peaches chaperone. You know what, Nate Faxon, who plays Marshall. I mean, there's good character actors. But Nate, Nate Faxon is barely in this show. He was in but like that one scene. You know, it's, I think it's actually Nat Faxon, but not, I understand what you're saying. The show isn't really rely Like Kevin Dunn. I mean, like a lot of these actors, you're relying more on Abby Jacobson. 
you know, who's, she's good. She's good. But I, like you said, is she good for this role? I, I, I don't know. Um, I like that original story. And I'll be honest with you. It wasn't until I think last summer, the summer before was the very first time I ever watched a league of their own. And like, so I've watched it like it currently is my age and I was blown away by the movie and was actually really upset that it took me that long. Um, Tom Hanks, I mean, the ending, it te- like you said, that relationship between Gina Davis, you know, and her sister is, is, is great. Lori Petty, I think is who plays her sister in the movie. Am I yeah. yeah. I, I don't think any perfect movie exists, but outside of the book and stuff with old Gina Davis, I kind of think basically what the movie is, is like a perfect storytelling where you get the, who the relationships are. You get the story, you get right in, you, everything has a perfect arc and you're done. Like this League of Their Own did not need a TV show. Probably didn't need it. Definitely didn't need it in 1993. I'm not sure it needed it now. I think part of the reason that they did this show now is they wanted to highlight the black aspect of it because in the movie, it's like one quick scene where a ball gets thrown to the side and a black woman throws it and she has an awesome pitch and it's like, oh yeah, there's only whiteies here. Well, that's um, awesome. I mean, that's awesome to integrate that into the show, and I have no problem. But honestly, that's the part that, that bugs the crap out of me, because they have this whole storyline about this female black pitcher, and it's it's basically two different shows. It's basically her show and the Rockford Peaches show, and I know for a fact that she's going to be a Rockford Peach. You don't have a black female pitcher that gets introduced without eventually like bringing her into the fold, but holy crap, the show needs to bring it. And that's an interesting, an interesting point real quick to go back to the House of Dragons is that look at House of Dragons and Game of Thrones. We're looking at like we want multiple storylines and multiple characters working where even a show like this, sometimes two separate storylines going at the same time, it just does not work. Um, but again, you know, I think it's more based on the, some of the actresses playing the roles. I mean, I could be wrong, but, uh, you know, I don't know. The movie no, see, I, I think the, the all the black actors on the show are, are excellent. I'm talking about Abby J. I'm talking about oh, yeah. Abby J. I'm talking about Abby J. I didn't want to be rude and say the creator of the show is, is not up to snuff. But it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, did you know that Reese Witherspoon was originally going to play the lead role in Gone Girl? Uh, that eventually went to I forgot the actress's name off the top of my head. Um, no, Rosamund Pike. So Reese was Reese Reese Witherspoon bought the rights to the Gillian Jacobs book and brought it to David Fincher. Uh-huh. And then David Fincher is like, um, you are not right for this role and kicked her <laughs> out. And as much as that sucks, like when you bought this rights for yourself, but a hundred percent Reese Witherspoon would not have been good for the lead in that movie. Rosemont Pike was excellent and was oh, the was right choice. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I get why Abby Jacobs, Abby Jacobson wants to write a show for herself, but like, this, I just, I just, I just feel like this was not to her skill set. But a couple other minor things I wanted to bring up before we move on. One is good. I think the actual baseball scenes are excellent. Um, one of the things that always, like, whenever you see baseball movies, when it's particularly when a pitcher pitches to the catcher slash batter, is the ball goes slow. And it, it goes like movie fast, but it's still slow. Yeah. But you watch a you watch a real baseball game, and the ball gets out of there, and then the catcher's mitt like instantly. And in this show, the ball actually moves super fast. It actually moves like 
how a 90 mile per hour fastball would move. Well, the, you know, and that's just, you know, like even in like major league or those other older movies, you're right. They don't really show some of the real. So that's one positive of the show, you know, showing the reality of that. But then another minor aspect and just another nitpick I have with it is I never know how many friggin' athletes are on this team because they basically like all the actresses in the show are the starters, but also you need to have some sort of bench. And then randomly like Abby Jacobson has a backup catcher that shows up and says like when Nick Offerman's like pissed at her and he puts in a backup catcher to start, it's like, where was this character for the first three episodes? <laughs> and also how many pitchers does this team have? Because you only have nine girls that you're showing. Yeah. And one of the pitchers gets injured. So who was pitching the other three to four days? That's true. That's very true. You like uh, you doesn't make much sense on that one. You need to do like that pitch perfect thing where you make sure you show all the girls, but there's definitely a handful of girls that don't get any lines. Yeah. You a hundred percent need to show that there are backup players on this team. And by the way, the movie did that. The movie showed that there are backup players. You see a full dugout, you see a lot of girls on that bus, but you're only focused on uh, like five or six of them. Uh <laughs> baseball teams have backups, people get injured. Yeah, that's absolutely. If true. there's a if if there is a backup catcher, maybe don't introduce her three <laughs> episodes in. Like, that's, I'm, that's it's so fair. inconsistent. There's it's more of a nitpick more than point. anything. But yeah, but that's that's part of the fun of it. <laughs> All right, another female-led show that recently dropped this one on Disney Plus is She-Hulk, starring Tatiana Maslany. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you watch Orphan Black? Uh, yes, I did. I I think I only saw like first two episodes. I, I mean, I and when I say I watched it, it's like you. I didn't. I that wasn't one that I was really as into as everyone else was. So I didn't watch the whole entire thing. But I've seen a few episodes. Mazani's super super talented. Happy that she finally gets some MCU money. Oh yeah. Um. But man, I thought this was such a piss poor pilot. Uh like I'm kind of down on the MCU, and I th- I want to talk about that in a little bit, but the whole thing with her and Mark Ruffalo's Hulk for the entire time, and I think part of it is like they need to set up an origin story, but good lord, like they just yada yada over everything, which to the point where they should have just yada yada over her origin story, like in the Edward Norton movie, and granted that came out pretty recently after the Ang Lee movie. Basically, Edward Norton becomes the Hulk in the opening credits. And they did that smartly because people had already seen how he had become the Hulk. And at this point, like I know they were talking about some themes and stuff that maybe they'll get to, but who knows with, you know, Disney Plus property. But man, just yadi yadding over the fact is <laughs> boom, she becomes a Hulk and she can, she's not like another person. She has her own brain inside when she becomes a Hulk body. And she, the whole training montage is her already doing everything. And now she's back to her normal life. <laughs> and I, it, it bugged the crap out of me. What did you think? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm about where you're at. I mean, I mean, the general consensus, I mean, they put you this way. I like Mark Ruffalo in anything, so I did enjoy Mark Ruffalo in this. But you know, I've always had a. I don't really am familiar with this character at all. I just don't understand why the She Hulk shouldn't she be like more Hulkish? Like I mean, that's kind of. I mean, that would 
wouldn't make her as you know as sexy as she is or what she's going for in the show but like when i think of the hulk you know i'm thinking like big scary big so like i don't know that's the stupid things that i'm picking on right there um the story like you said it was a lot of these i knew it was always coming to this point um i knew it was always coming to the point of cheesiness and that's where i feel like we're starting to get to with the show and not the good kind of cheesiness either the kind that you're just doing to fill the time that's what it feels like a little bit i don't know maybe i'm being overly harsh um no we're gonna get to that in a second because i do think mcu is watering down their own product well because this I think feels like out of, another few jobs they're running out of like it's hard to make a like when you're making a comic book it is completely, I have now realized this, even right now live, I'm realizing this talking to you, that you have, you could do the same story in a comic book, but a hundred different ways, and you're not going to see it because it's a comic book and you're reading it slowly. But all these movies are generally the same plot. They're just, but so you keep shuffling the same, but you got to, so the actors need to be different and they need to be better. And, you know, she's great. And not only that, they're kind of recycling the same television shows. They shouldn't be doing television shows, but they have a property and they have an avenue to do television shows, so they're going to do it. But like, look at like Moon Knight. Look at this. They're all just okay. They're not like great. They're not, you know, anything like Infinity War. But I think not only that they are reusing the same kind of story beats, they're reusing the same themes. Literally the first thing that you see out of, I think her character's name is Jennifer Walters. She's like practicing this closing argument, but she's basically looking right at the camera and telling us the themes of the show is like basically that Spider-Man thing with great power becomes great responsibility. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's never been said so succinctly as that, but she essentially said, she essentially for 30 seconds to a minute, basically just reiterates that. And that's kind of the thing that she was talking about with Mark Ruffalo, where now you have this great power so now comes great responsibility to do good with the power, which I'll just go watch the Spider-Man movies, man. Like literally Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi did this 20 years ago. I don't need the MCU movies all about this. I don't, I don't but need another yeah, property to tell me this. It's like with anything. It's even like with music. You know, I know you said you're a huge fan of Nirvana. If a new band came out and they're like, they sound like Nirvana. Why would I want to listen to that? I'll go listen to Nirvana. That's what this is. If you're going to want to go listen, you know, the old Spider-Mans. I mean, I get what they're doing because there's new people always being introduced to the fold. The problem is, is that can you imagine that this is what you're starting with and Marvel and then you're working backwards to the better stuff? It would feel so like you're not in the golden age. And I guess that's kind of how it's going to feel for some people. I don't think they'll ever make a movie as good as the movies that they've made already. That might be a hot take. But, so, yeah. like, man, that's honestly a perfect segue. But I do want to get off this point first before yeah. we talk about the movies. Yeah. Is that as an attorney, I've always wanted to see like a Law and Order type show in uh, a superhero world. Yeah. Like, I want a procedural drama where like you have to follow the same due process laws, but they're superheroes. Did you ever see and, Attorney Birdman at Law? He's pretty cool. No, that that was. That type of late night Cartoon Network humor never got to me. I know, but honestly, something like that though in the MCU, and I think that you are going to see shades of this because she's eventually become going to become a defense attorney yeah. for um, superheroes and supervillains. Yeah. But I was like, man, I would love to see like 
how people and attorneys in this real world would have to act like, oh, you caught him? Okay. Did you have a warrant to do it? Did you have probable cause? Oh, you just seem suspicious? Okay. Well, this case is thrown out. <laughs> but, no, I, that, that's, that's very, that's very, um, very interesting. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, but that's it too. You know, I'm looking at the people who are like bringing this, you know, to light, you know, it's somebody who, I mean, I'm looking at their credentials, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, shameless. The kids are all right. The movie, I mean, these aren't like, she's. Oh, Lisa Ola Denchenko. Yeah. But like, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It could just be me. This could be into the same thing as the last thing we talked about. It just might that be my cup of, cup of joe. All right. So here's all the movies and TV shows that have come out since um, in this new phase since um, Infinity War Endgame. And I'm not counting. There's like a the second Spider-Man came out too, but I think that's certainly part of the same phase. So yeah. here's all the movies and TV shows in this new phase. Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, and then we're getting Wakanda Forever later in the year. And all the TV shows that uh, have been released on Disney Plus are WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, and now She-Hulk. That's that's like 15... Ugh. Products, my stomach hurts. Points of contact, points of content Ugh. in the past year and a half, and I, I think you and I both really like Shang Chi. But yeah, is that like is that top tier MCU? I mean, no. Um, it's I, I think that definitely it's easily the best out of everything I mentioned. It's different. It's what it is. Is it's original uh, MCU. It's different than anything that they've done, which makes it probably the. I mean, it's different debating that they've done in the recent years, which makes it probably the best. Um, but those movies, some of those movies are are just, it's not that they're bad. It's just like they all sound the same when you're reading them like that. And so, okay, here's the point I even want to get to further. So, and this is a point like I've kind of want to make on multiple podcasts, but I just feel like I haven't had the opportunity or when I have, Hans has like interrupted me and just done his own thing. <laughs> And I think, you know, when we when we had Mick on, he asked us this, but, like, for time, like, I just didn't say anything. That's why I kind of want to, like, have a little bit of time right now. So the when ultimately that first part of the MCU was building towards uh, – first, I mean, the very first stuff was building towards the Avengers. And then after that first Avengers, they were building towards a battle with Thanos. And yeah. whether or not they knew that's what they were doing, it was still a pretty consistent linear line between where they started and where they finished. And now, kind of like this multiverse stuff, they're branching off because not only are they doing a multiversal war, but they're also doing um, a Thunderbolts movie. So, like, another version of Avengers, but with, like, you know, morally gray characters and heroes. (laughs) And they're also probably going to do a Young Avengers movie. So they have, like, all these balls that they're juggling in the air. Plus... Here's all the okay. I want to read off all the the new heroes and new characters that are eventually going to be in these products, and that doesn't include all the characters that they've already mentioned. So all those middling TV shows are now just producing new characters as well. So here's all the new heroes. We have um, Yelena, which is Florence Pugh, which is from you know Black Widow. Yeah. 
technically David Harbour's character, the Russian Captain America. Um, I don't know if he's going to be in anything else, but he's technically a hero now in this universe. Uh, the villain in that movie, Taskmaster, um, is probably going to be in the Thunderbolts movie. We have Shang-Chi. We have all the Eternals. I don't know how many of them. I can't remember who died or who lived, but there's still a whole bunch of Eternals that are still <laughs> technically around. To be honest, I think the MCU was like, you know, people didn't like this movie. We're just going to forget about it. But they introduced Eros, who's played by Harry Styles in an ending credits. They have Jon Snow, who plays going to be the Black Knight. Uh-huh. And in that ending credits, you also hear Mahershal Ali's voice, which means we're getting Blade soon. See, that's the one, that's the one where I'm curious for me personally because you know I did like Wesley Snipes' Blade, but again, it depends on how they make the movie. It, I'm curious to see. You know, we this isn't even getting to Fantastic Four, which they're going to release soon. Which is like, I like. I'm curious to see what MCU does with the Fantastic Four, but you're now adding more heroes on top of. By the way, this is just part of it. So technically, they've introduced Clea, who is Charlize Theron's character at the end of um, Doctor Strange 2. So she's going to show up at some point because you don't cast Charlize Theron without at least guaranteeing her like three movies, probably. That's true. Uh, I didn't, and I didn't see Thor Love and Thunder yet. Natalie Portman at one point is clearly Thor. I don't know if she's Thor by the end of it. And I don't know if they introduced any new heroes in that, but that's still, that's just the, the movies, the TV shows have Maria Rambeau's Marvel from WandaVision. You have John Walker, the uh, Kurt Wyatt Russell character, um, who's going to be in Thunderbolts from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You didn't see Loki, but they introduced King of the Conqueror, who, at least to their credit, is going to be like basically Loki, the new Loki. Like He's going to be this bad guy. He's going to show up in the third Ant-Man movie, and it's going to be the big bad for everyone. But still, it's a new character. Then you have Echo and the Swordsman. Um, I don't know how much Marvel's going to do with Tony Dalton, but hopefully when you cast Tony Dalton, you actually have him do things versus the four <laughs> lines he nice. said in the Hawkeye show. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be and then you nice. have the heroes Moon Knight and She-Hulk. And then you have the Young Avengers. So Wanda's twins in WandaVision. America Chavez from... Uh, Multiverse of Madness, Kate Bishop, the um, character from Hawkeye, I forget the actress's name, not important, Miss Marvel, and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, you know, th- did you see that show? Yes, yes, I did. So, do you know that there was like, um, you know, um, the new Captain America, he's talking to like an older gentleman who lives in Baltimore and he's like, they experimented on yeah. me. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, he has a grandson in the show. Uh-huh. who in the comic books is in the Young Avengers. Okay. So, you know, you probably cast that guy, that kid, to be in it. You have Kid Loki from the Loki show, one of his variants. And then Wakanda Forever is going to introduce Ironheart as one of the new characters, who's getting her own show, who's also going to be in the Young Avengers. And all of that is to say, that's so many fucking balls in the air. And... You know, maybe eventually they're all going to come down in perfect order, and maybe we need to give Marvel more credit. But at this stage in the game, like at this point in the first phase, they had already made the Avengers, which is like, okay, this was the culmination of all these movies, and we were super happy. Now it just seems like a mess, and basically, each new movie and each new show just seems like an excuse to add more characters, 
to for them to get their own show, and then that show is going to introduce more characters, and it just seems yeah. like it's um it's a Ponzi scheme of superheroes. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm going to put this in the most simplest terms because you'll understand it is the original way back in the late '60s, the Batman television show. Okay, like the, for most people who follow that show, like when Batman in 1989 came out with Michael Keaton. There's a lot of people who watched that show because they remembered the Joker and Cesar Romero, and that's why they went to see the movie. If in that movie they decided to introduce a character named the Water Bottle Man, and that's who Batman was to face off, and even if Jack Nicholson was to play the Water Bottle Man, I'm sure it wouldn't have resonated because the Joker is such a strong character. These superheroes that you're talking about, they're they're superheroes. Like, let me ask you. This is we're gonna play a game real quick. Ne- name off the top of your head an obscure actor that you know. Just somebody, anybody. Uh, Daniel Bruhl. Daniel Bruhl, perfect. I love Daniel Bruhl. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a whole episode, a, a podcast about the zookeeper's wife because I love Daniel Bruhl in that movie. You'd be like a whole episode, and I'd be like, yeah, because you know we're gonna go really deep on film. And you'd be like, but only a couple people will like it. And I'd say, yeah, who cares? It's what we like. That's what I feel like some of these characters are. It's for the diehard fans. And people like us, we're going to get lost in the fold because it's just a lot. It's overload. Um, So recently to that point, Miss Marvel was Disney Plus's lowest rated MCU show. Because guess what? When like... You can only pull the Guardians of the Galaxy, like this obscure thing is actually truly awesome. Well, yeah. So many times before it eventually falls, blows up in your face. They would have been better off making, and then they've already ruined that by making Morbius and stuff like that. But like standalone movies of those original characters back when they were still like fresh and awesome. So like, you know, back after Spider-Man 2 came out with Tobey Maguire and Doc Ock doing a, an original Doc Ock story because the story was still fresh you know i mean now you can do a doc ock story but it might fall who knows where that's going to fall and people seeing it they haven't they they keep trying to like you said it it is like a ponzi scheme and i don't like ponzi schemes so we'll see though that's kind of you know i know a lot of people like it but we'll we'll have to wait and see you know, it's also funny that you mentioned like the the villain you made up was Water Bottle Man. Yeah. Because uh, you don't watch the Harley Quinn show, but no. they, they're able to go real deep in the DC canon. Uh-huh. And two villains they have, and one of them is actually kind of a big deal is a uh, Kite Man, who's literally <laughs> just a guy with a kite on his back. That's awesome. Um, and he's he's super great on the show. And one of the other characters that they'll bring up is a uh, apparently there's a real Batman villain called the Condiment King. And he just shoots like ketchup and mustard, apparently. <laughs> so, like, you're probably not that far off from Water Bottle Man being like really close to a real well, no. comic book villain. But you're right, like, but like, getting... I bet is that Harvey Quinn show good? I've heard it's good. It's oh man, it's so good. Watch it, watch so, it. So, like, it, cartoons like that, I bet play off awesome with a Water Bottle Man or a Kite Man because it's it's cool. It, like, that kind of stuff looks cool in, like, that color. But, like, when you're bringing stuff to life, it's like we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the new we're, – we're, we're concerned about what really is going to happen with the new Black Panther. You know, what, 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 what really is this movie going to be about? And that's kind of where we're really kind of with the characters here. Like, who's the superhero in that movie that they're going to – the toy line's going to rest on? 
You know, I mean, that's that's generally the question with these Marvel movies is, well, how many toys can they sell? And maybe it's more concern trolling than a concern, but like, not only do they need to introduce a new Black Panther, which is, you know, fine. They obviously need to do that and for the franchise, but also they're introducing, like I said, this character, Ironheart, solely so she can get her own TV show. But they're also introducing Namor the Submariner, who's this, the Marvel's version of Aquaman, who's apparently a big deal in the comics, but like, I feel like you're not going to introduce that character to just be one and done. I mean, maybe he will be, but I doubt it. So then there's now there's there's just too many characters and it's to the point creatively where I I do think it's it's like almost bad branding where it's fine to, you know, have three movies a year or two movies and a TV show, but to have three movies and five TV shows every single year <sighs> Well, I don't know, man. It's, it's too much. Know, to compare it to back to, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's back to the Star Wars stuff. You know, they're under, I wouldn't say they're quite as swamped yet because they haven't unleashed as much, but it's, it's going to get there. Um, I liked it now, you know, you used to get upset when you had to wait three years or four years when Lucas was releasing one, two, and three. But sometimes waiting is, is better than getting over swamped by just, mediocre i'm not even saying mediocre because it might not be a lot of people might like it you know it's just not for me you know i think a lot of this stuff is just fine but it's getting to the point where i mean let me ask you let me ask you this question then when scorsese if you remember a couple months ago he made a comment um i'm trying to remember i'm gonna look it up here exactly yeah he he basically called these movies theme park rides not i mean what's your feeling what's your feeling on that compared to how we're talking so like when he originally made it like i think black panther had just come out where yeah he was wrong (laughs) i mean we're gonna maybe talk about 2018 in film yeah with black panther in it but it is getting to i do understand his point and it is getting to the point where like i'm I you know I really like superhero movies. I'm definitely not that Martin Scorsese level of crankiness. Yeah, but I feel like you need to do something different with it. You can't keep churning out the same dribble. Like part of the reason Shang Chi felt so good, at least for the first two acts, is that it felt different and fun and unique. Like that bus scene, you know, basically right out the gate, is one of the most fun I've had of the movies in the past couple of years. Oh yeah. I even, I'm thinking when you brought up Shang-Chi a little while ago, I thought about that cool dragon at the end in the sky. Like the way, I mean, it, the graphics in that movie were, were really, were really good. Um, what I think is that, you know, that's an original story though. I mean, when you're, but like Eternals, that, that, I did not like that movie at all. That was not one that I enjoyed with Angelina you, Jolie. But you know what I keep thinking about the Eternal? So at the very end, this giant celestial comes out of the earth. Like you can literally see it from space. And like something, an event like that would cause cataclysmic. I can't fucking speak. It would cause horrific devastation for like the climate and the world. And basically Marvel has just forgotten about it <laughs> completely just because people didn't like Eternals. Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> But that's, you know, I mean, that's that's where we are with this. So, I mean, I like Ryan Coogler. We'll see what happens with Wakanda Forever. I'm still going to watch these. I mean, I'm paying for a Disney Plus subscription. Well, that's definitely a, not running that's out to the theater, thing. though. If me and you were back in college, you know, I mean, I don't 
I, I, I think this is more a question of time. Like, I want to watch it all. That's the question. So, like, what you want is quality. And, like, are they putting that out? You know, we're going to try to watch the most that we can. But, you know, that's what the problem becomes. It doesn't be – we're going to have to watch things that aren't as exciting as things that it should be more exciting for us to watch. So, speaking of Marvel movies in college, I remember, like, being dragged, basically kicking and screaming to see the first Iron Man. Because uh-huh. – I really did not want to see it. This was obviously before the MCU. I was yes. like, just give me the Dark Knight. I really don't care about friggin' Robert Downey Jr. in this world. This is dumb. Like, John Favreau wasn't a thing yet. And a buddy of mine was like, you know, I'm going to go see this. If you want something to do on Friday night, you got to come with me. So I was like, oh, fine. And, you know, took the bus, went to go see it. And I was like, oh, man, that movie's really good. Yeah, I mean... And then you're also like, too, you know, I'm like, I don't want to see it. But then you're like, oh, Jeff Bridges is the bad guy. So you're like, well, this has got to be halfway decent. He signed up for it. And it ended up, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, you want to talk about a surprise. I mean, that's a huge surprise. Just him, where he went with that whole entire role. Yeah. Okay. I think you and I feel the same way about the MCU. We're both kind of sour on it. But we want it to be better. And uh, a director who... Um, has smartly stayed away from directing an MCU movie, has been Ridley Scott. Yes, Ridley Scott. All right, so these aren't all of his films, but here are some of the major ones he did. Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, American Gangster, The Martian, and The Last Duel. Yeah. I mean, those are his. Those would be his. I would call his main ones. Yeah, that's a fucking hell of a filmography. Well, it is. It, it really. I mean, he's. You know, I mean, I really. The only movie I have not seen, which I've always wanted to, is his very first movie before Aliens, The Duelists, with uh, Harvey Keitel stars, and I've never seen this movie. But he, I mean, his directing. When you look down the list, like some of the ones that we're not even talking about. They're all over the place. He's directed many different kinds of movies, which I think makes a good director. Um, he has, uh, you know, he's made two movies here that I'm, I'm looking at here because I'm shocked that he made these two movies because I did not enjoy these two movies. Um, did you ever see 2013's The Counselor? No, it got such bad reviews. And like I keep oh. seeing it on like it's now streaming on HBO. Honestly, and I love I Michael Fassbender, but ago, I've tried so many times. The problem with that movie is is honestly you'll know in ten minutes that it doesn't really have a plot. It's it's good to look at. I don't know, I, I don't know what was going on. And did you what did you think of Exodus, Gods and Kings? Again, we're love Christian Bale, but like it just that's that's the thing with with Ridley Scott. That just wasn't. <laughs> so, like, Ridley Scott for is like, clearly he's still got it. You and I both love and are big fans of The Last Duel, which came out last yeah. year. Yeah. Like, he's clearly still has some gas in the tank. But to yeah. me, he, he reminds me a little bit about Clint Eastwood in the sense of Clint Eastwood will just shit out a movie and do it super quickly. Like, Ridley yeah. Scott can do it, like, very famously when all the money in the world. You know, the trailer dropped, and then, like, the next day, Kevin Spacey got canceled. Yeah, so he's like, okay. oh, shit, and then hired, um, <laughs> oh, I forgot the gentleman who he hired to replace him. All the money in the world. Christopher Plummer. Plummer. He Plummer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hired Christopher Plummer, and it was like, you know what? We're just going to reshoot all of Kevin Spacey's scenes. And, like, 
he has that ability to do that, and he has the ability to film quickly, uh, just like Clint Eastwood. And unlike Clint Eastwood, can still make good movies in his later age. But uh, man, sometimes like House of Gucci, I don't. Think, I think very other, no. other end of the spectrum where. <laughs> I do think Jared Leto was ridiculous, but that movie was. I think good. the acting is really good. I just don't think Ridley Scott was on the same page as his actors. I feel like he was filming a different movie than they were acting in. That's what it felt like. You know, a lot, a lot in that. Do you ever see Body of Lies? Body of Lies with Leo. No. Neither have I. Um, Kingdom of Heaven. You ever see that with Orlando Bloom? You know, I, I think I actually did see that in the theater and went right in in one ear and right out the other. Yeah, it's it absolutely not stuck. I remember I visited a friend um, down in Evansville and we went to the movies and I literally fell asleep in the movie theater. And what's really weird, this is the most oddest thing I'll bring about that movie is um, Edward Norton is in the movie, okay? He plays the king in the movie. You never see his face. Oddest thing you'll ever see. He's in the title cards, but it says he's in the movie, but you never see him, his face. But it's really yeah. weird. I did not like that movie that, at all. That is a weird thing with Ridley Scott. For as great of a filmography as he has, I feel like he does take a lot of L's. Even but, Han- even Hannibal, the sequel to... I did not like the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Um, but, I mean, but, like, that's it. Just this week, I was looking... People were talking about G.I. Jane and how, like, Demi Moore really gave for that role. And, you know, I remember when that came out, I'll have to rewatch that movie because it's been a long time because Viggo Mortensen stars in that. You know, I like him, but I don't even remember him in that movie. But yeah, it's like, you know what's, I don't, this may be blasphemous to say, I uh, I don't care for Blade Runner. You know, you, you I'm going to tell you someone, the greatest side, the, the man who loved Prometheus the most, he used to say, he used to fall asleep to this movie. It was my father. And he loved sci-fi movies, but he did not like Blade Runner. He said he said it was boring. He said, and I would be like, but it looks cool. He's like, but it's boring. Um, that was his version of it. What's your version of what Blade Runner is? A hundred percent. So Blade Runner basically set the template for science fiction movies. The reason that we see like flying cars, like, you know, the fifth element? Yeah. Like that whole aesthetic is basically Blade Runner. Um, even Star Wars ended up pulling, you know, the, the prequels, like Blade Runner basically is the template for science fiction movies as like a smart science fiction film. It's, it's a work of genius. I, uh, I just, man, I tried, I I gave it a rewatch before the Ryan Gosling sequel came out. Did you like like, Ryan Gosling sequel? No, because it was so much like Blade Runner. Well, I was going to see if you were going to like, well, I like the sequel, but no, but that makes sense. Like I said, some of the greatest like sci-fi people I know, you know, they didn't like that movie. I, I fall somewhere where it's I like the performances in the movie, I like all of it together, but like it's not. I I like the idea of it. Let me put it to you that way. A lot more than sometimes sitting and watching it. Like I love Rudger Hauer as the bad guy. I love Harrison Ford. I love the story. I love it all. I love the way it looks, but something about it. It's like empty too. So I don't know. You know, I feel kind of a little bit like you feel. I, I I think it's a work of genius and I don't ever want to revisit it again. All due respect. I mean, some of it is also just I have a little bit of that ADD movie brain where if something slow, it's really slow to me. And uh, 
I hundred percent get it. It's it is a work of genius. It does deserve to be praised. It's basically going to be one of the first lines in his obituary. But... See, I feel that way. The way you feel about Blade Runner is kind of the way I feel about The Martian. Um, I was not a huge fan of that movie. Um, I actually think the way I look at it, we were talking here, was like almost like I don't know why he got this got such, you know. I don't know. Did you like it a lot, though? I don't want to. I actually, I like The Martian, and but. Well, what did you like about The Martian? Which was it? I, Matt Damon, because yes. he did a great job. He a lot of a lot of it was carried by the performance of Matt Damon. That's fair. I see that. Matt, like you know. some, like the same thing with like Ford v Ferrari is sometimes, especially particularly with Matt Damon, like movie stars being movie stars can carry a movie for me. Where Matt Damon was at the front and center for the most of the time. Um, except for the part where he kept wasting ketchup eating those potatoes. <laughs> it was like, bro, you got to ration out your ketchup. You're going to be in Mars for a long time. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that was a part of it. And I did like the point of the story of like the world coming together to save one man. Um, it did have a propulsion to me because for sometimes his like faults, I, he has such a knack for storytelling that's, yeah. I think, the through line for most of his, well, not most, for basically all of his movies, and especially the great ones, is that it's just he, he's a master storyteller. And he doesn't really have a visual style, but I think that can work into his advantage. Like, as you mentioned before, he can work in so many different genres. Like, Blade Runner is a visually stunning film, but you don't necessarily see a whole lot of visuals you know, in like all of his projects, like he can make Thelma and Louise, which is, you know, a road trip movie, which is basically almost no visuals outside of the vistas. And he can also make like Gladiator and Black Hawk Down and Blade Runner that look incredible. That's very and, true. I mean, good. It's he also, I feel like he has a great ability to tell big budget storytelling without telling franchise storytelling. You know, even though I think, let's see. Did well, like, he he have, he didn't make a sequel like obviously they made sequels to Alien. Oh no, he I take that he made two Alien movies. But outside of that, he really well, I mean, didn't have a franchise. No, I mean, and honestly, the reason he came he he specifically, I mean, they did ask him to do part two, and he was like, nope, it's one. Like it was before the years of franchises, and he was like, no, I believe in only one. And they're like, well, okay, we'll get somebody else. So we'll get this other guy named James Cameron. So like off the top of your head who's a better filmmaker james cameron or ridley scott i mean tomato tomato right like they yeah, both do yeah. two different things but yeah. uh like so, so james like, cameron has a better clearly a better batting average but he also makes less movies well yeah i mean in both alien and aliens are completely two different movies i mean alien is more intimate and scary in an intimate way where aliens is more like big action scary and that's what james cameron is um Ridley Scott you know and that's the thing it's like he's worked with a lot of good actors though you know I mean he's worked with Russell Crowe quite a quite a few times um Black Hawk Down though that's a really good movie I, I saw that one in the theater I did enjoy that dude Black Hawk Down ended up having like one of the best casts ever yeah it's got a great cast I mean weirdly the top hasn't aged well because it's always Josh Hartnett who was basically only famous for like a three-year window that's true. but it has like down the line, it has, um, you know, speaking of Game of Thrones, it has Nicholas Coster Wildow, um, who played Jamie Lannister on the show. 
Um, it has Jeremy Piven. You and McGregor. Um, yeah, like I can't even. I don't even like want to try to like think of all the actors, but I promise you, IMDb Blackhawk Down. You're like, he's in it. He's in it. Wait, he's in it. Like, you know, that, that's another question. Is like, you know, you, you you see all these people. I mean, he works. I'm looking at the list here. This even Ty Burrell's in the movie. Yes, I mean, like I said, like I, that's what I mean. I don't want to go through the IMDb page, but like, yeah. he the the casting director who casted a bunch of minor roles in that movie deserves yeah. a lot yeah. of kudos. Yeah, <laughs> Do you think Black Hawk Down is the best war movie ever? I mean, this is this is kind of you know again, it's where where do you what kind of war movie? I always like to say, what kind of war movie do you like? And this kind of war movie for the Desert Storm, yeah, I think it's definitely for the way it's depicted. Um, you know, I, I it's not my top five war movies, but I think it's an awesome, amazing war movie. I I don't know if my favorite, but to me, it's on the very, very, very short list. We have. Of- there's not a lot like when i say war movies there's probably 12 solid war movies and i i that could be actually i could be shorting it you know but off the top of my head and it's on that list for me you know it's just i'll have to write them all down and see where that where that would where that would lay um you know i'm like really more into the like newer war movies like um of course, the name escapes. What's the Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, Saving Private Ryan? Oh yeah, I mean, like to me, that's on it. That's um, amazing. World, I mean, nineteen seventeen, amazing. Dunkirk, amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of a newer war movie. I really like. You ever see like, uh, it's Jude Law with the Enemy at the Gates, where they're like snipers. It's like World War II snipers. That's I think movie. I think I've I've seen it, but um, like when it first came out, and sometimes you know when there, movies came out in like the nineties, early two thousands. Oh yeah, it just goes in one ear and right out the other. I'm always I'm a big I'm a big I love Apocalypse Now is probably my favorite. Um, I like Platoon a lot too. Recently, I watched one called Hamburger Hill. I really like that movie a lot. Casualties of War, John C. Riley's in that. That's pretty good. Vietnam, for some reason, I think that's where I got started. I like the Vietnam movie, but all because, these movies are great. I mean, there was, there was, you know, Vietnam has ingrained itself so much in our culture for so long. Partly, I mean, because America took yeah. such a big L. But it became so much a part of our movie culture, not only in, like, the paranoid thrillers, yeah. you know, the time, but then also, like, actually we got, you know, like, Oliver it's Oliver Stone did Platoon, right? Yes. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. We got Oliver Stone. That's what's cool. Who was, who was actually in Vietnam making a Vietnam movie. Well, yeah, you got Oliver Stone doing Platoon. You got Coppola doing Apocalypse Now. You got Brian De Palma doing Casualties of War. And you got, what's his name? Stanley Kubrick, who did Full Metal Jacket. Like, that's why I think it drew, drew me to them was that like big directors were doing these movies. But like, look at those movies we're talking about that we mentioned before. Sam Mendes. You know, um, Steven Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg, I mean, Saving Private Ryan is, that is a completely different feat in its own than those other movies. You just said it the best. What did you just, repeat that again. You said that these war movies took, you said, paranoia? Yeah, Vietnam had ingrained itself so much in American culture that 
not only did we get like these like paranoid thrillers because of you know our distrust in the government thanks to vietnam but we actually got outright a lot of vietnam movies yeah and i mean that's really kind of why i believe those movies it's apocalypse now i love it because it's like you said the probably the reason you don't like uncut gems is the reason why apocalypse now is just drenching with what you just said you could feel it um but uh that being said it's uh I think all those movies are great. Um, newer movies, though, have a tendency to be, you know, you could show, you know, they're, they're shot a lot more. Like Spielberg obviously could use a lot more stuff than like what Francis Ford Coppola could use, which makes Saving Private Ryan look really awesome. There was um, a stretch like 10 years ago where I was kind of a little bit worried about the state of war movies because we got like Brad Pitt's Fury. We got um, Clint Eastwood's American Sniper. Um, What's that one? I, I'm thinking of it off the top of my head. The one with um, the one that Mel Gibson directed. Oh, Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. Did you like, did you like that one? No, that was the, <laughs> that was the third one I was going to mention where I was like, no. Okay, so the reason I don't like Hacksaw Ridge is because it felt like it had too much of Mel Gibson's personality into it, where it was like faux religiosity and ultraviolence. And I was like, I don't need to see a movie that's a representation of Mel Gibson. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's, 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 and, and every, and rightfully so. And I realized like that that's one. Like if you're gonna make a war movie now, I think it's you have a higher bar because there's been so many of them and so many great ones that you need to say something new. Like what? Why are you making a war movie in the 2020s? And you know, for something like 1917, what you have to say is, I'm just gonna be like, I'm not even gonna say anything. It's just gonna be a cool action movie, and I'm gonna do a cool gimmick to help accentuate the action. And it was awesome. I actually don't think, and I've said it before when we talked, we did it our movie battle of Dunkirk versus 1917. I don't think 1917 has anything to say, um, but I also don't think it matters because that movie is just so much fun. Yeah. But then something like Dunkirk, where it's like, okay, what do you have to say? And I think Christopher Nolan does have something to say about that English stiff upper lip that permeates throughout British culture. Um, you know, that ending line, I think I said it before, but it's like, uh, congratulations. For what? We didn't do anything. You survived. That's enough. And I was like, damn, that's a good line. <laughs> that's um, and, you know, something like Fury, like Fury, I was like super excited. It's got Brad Pitt. It seemed like a return of Shia LaBeouf. It has Barenthal, our boy in it. Um, it has tanks, like something we had never seen before, really, in movies, but that movie had absolutely nothing to say. And you I was know, like, that, that is a movie that I have never watched. For some reason, it's going to probably be like the Kevin Bacon thing here. I'm just going to keep putting it off. But I, I, you know, and that's pretty, I heard it's just a tank movie, just a, just a movie about some tanks. That's pretty much what I've heard. I could be wrong, but the, yeah, acting, it, the actors in it sounded interesting. I, you know, it just didn't bring me to the, didn't bring me to watch it yet. There's like one good scene where Brad Pitt and the kid who's actually the main star, Logan Lerman, um, I think he's 
and he's a good actor. Bad Times at the El Royale. Who yeah, maybe yeah, which is come up later on my list. Um, yeah, and they had this scene where they're like they're in um, war torn Italy, and they have a scene where like where they're playing essentially playing house with these two Italian ladies that they come across that actually is like really poignant and insightful, but like the rest of the movie, like you, you wouldn't think a movie with like Brad Pitt and like all these great actors could be not so good. And it is not so good. <laughs> well, that, you know, and that's, that's, you know, sometimes when you throw together, uh, you know, a war movie, I remember one, I went to the theaters to see with Nicholas Cage called wind talkers. John Woo directed it. Oh man, this movie was bad, 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 but I should have known before going because Nicholas Cage in a war movie just probably wasn't a good idea. But that's, you know, like you said, like Clint Eastwood, he went on for that, like, Flags of Our Fathers and the two of Iwo Jima. It was like the same year. Um, I never seen those movies. Um, you know, everything's different for, I mean. So it's really interesting taking American Sniper, which is another Clint Eastwood movie, and The Hurt Locker. Whereas The Hurt Locker, Catherine Bigelow, uh, eventually won her Academy Award. That had something to say. Like that was something super interesting of like war yeah. is a drug, right? Yeah. Like um, you know, Anthony Mackie before he got into the MCU actually showing off his acting chops and um Hawkeye definitely before he got into the MCU and be able to show up his acting chops. Jeremy oh, yeah. Renner. I mean, I don't actually care for that movie per se, but like I get why people like it. But it's like, man, this is a really interesting new take on war it's like you like you know we've seen so many anti-war movies where it's people like charlie sheen's character platoon like they absolutely want to get the f out of war versus then you know cut to 30 years later jeremy renner like can't function in a grocery store and has to do another tour like oh that's why i always love you watch you watch major league and you see uh jake the catcher tom berenger and then you see him in Platoon, and he's the direct opposite of what you just described, Charlie Sheen. It's almost like he wants to be there, and it's, he's, like, insane. And that's back to what you said earlier about that that madness. Um, but then, like, you look at something like um, – I think I, I, I keep saying American Gangster because I have really Scott on my mind. It's American Sniper, yeah. the movie that, like, I actually Did mean. Did you like that movie? No, because yeah. uh, that movie, to me, had too much of Clint Eastwood's right-wing – gun-toting bullshit (laughs) like the the trailer was seemed so dope because it's you know i don't know if you remember the trailer but it's bradley cooper he has a sniper oh i remember it and he's like trying to make a decision about like whether or not he should pull the trigger because you know enemy combatants you know during the iraq and afghani war weren't so easy to come by so like you thought it was going to be oh is this going to be a tough decision and then in the actual movie, it's like it ended up being a super easy decision. He murders him and then murders like 50 other people. <laughs> Versus something like, you know, we're talking about Sam Mendes in 1917. I absolutely loved Jarhead. I actually didn't like it when it first came out, but Oh, that's when I, I forgot about that one. That's sad. When that's I went to sad. revisit, yeah, like such a f- new, interesting take of like nothing happens. There's so many times where so many like it's based off of a real oh, soldier story of like he was able to make a story where nothing happens really intriguing. You ever see, um, it's not quite war. It's kind of like after the war, but you ever see Brothers with um, Toby Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal? 
I have not. Like Toby Maguire in a totally off kilter performance. He plays like the brother who just came home from the Iraq war. And Gyllenhaal's like the derelict brother who never became anything of himself. And it's, it's a pretty good, interesting drama. But again, it shows the after effects of war. There's those type of movies too. But uh, definitely the one you just said, Jarhead, that was good. But I remember seeing it the first time and I did not like it the first time I seen it. But it, it's movie has grown on me as time has, has come, come along. How much do you have the ability to edit? Uh, pretty good. All right. I got to take a bathroom break. Oh, sounds good. Right, I'm going to continue to talk here. All right. Talk about why you love Kevin Bacon. All right. We're going to talk about Kevin Bacon here for a couple minutes here, my friends. We have made it to that section of the day. Kevin Bacon. Bacon is served. All right. Kevin Bacon. I like Kevin Bacon for many different reasons. I think Kevin Bacon is a pretty smooth actor. Um, Kevin Bacon is amazing in Animal House. Um, that's my where you might have seen him for the first time. Um, if not Animal House, he has been in a lot, 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 a lot of other movies, including oh, great movies as the very first Friday the Thirteenth. That's an amazing movie in itself. But you go through the eighties, and he's in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles in the very beginning of that movie. Really interesting. He's hailing a cab. Earlier in the eighties, he was in a movie called Diner. I know people who listen. If I don't mention that movie. He, in A Few Good Men, he was excellent in A Few Good Men. Um, really, really good in Apollo 13. Um, but again, Kevin Bacon is always nice and crispy um, in whatever he's doing. But I like Kevin Bacon. Those are, some, Kevin Bacon? those are some excellent points you made, Tony. I agree with every excellent. single one of them. All right, now let's move on to the next topic. <laughs> let's talk about... I am um, the one thing with like I actually kind of wanted to talk about Kevin Bacon in yeah, our last right. episode because I do find it a fascinating comparison of him and Ethan Hawke, who are both really good older white actors, versus whereas Ethan Hawke has managed to stay relevant. And granted, he got his opportunity to do a superhero movie in 2021 versus Kevin Bacon, who did his superhero stuff in first class like 10 years ago but they're also about 14 years apart you know but they still could basically play yeah but they're like but like bacon like before you before you hopped on bacon bacon was sizzling in like the early part of his career like ethan hawk's career seems like it's done the opposite of kevin bacon's career whereas like ethan hawk is like getting these great roles later on i mean what's kevin bacon really getting here he well, did have he, one that just premiered. Ethan, on- Ethan Hawke started in um, Dead Poets Society. Yeah, but like, as look a kid. at him in the, like, like, you think Dead Poets, but he wasn't like, he isn't, he isn't Dead Poets Society. He is Footloose. So you know what I'm saying? Like, he was in, you know, the first Friday the 13th. Everybody knows him in that. You know, I mean, I get what you're saying, Tremors. You know, I mean, but these are flatliners. I mean, but these are all um, Ethan Hawke. Let's. I'm going to pull up his stuff. I mean, Uma Thurman for a long time was earning the paychecks and the family. Now, because yeah, I mean, that's now, because he was working Uma with like Linklater movies, and well, that's what it is. Ethan Hawke is actually always been awesome. You're actually correct. Dead Poet Society, um, 
But when you come into the 80s, I mean, the 90s, he's in reality bites. But, like, he's great expectations. He's not in a lot in the 90s. And it's in the 2000s. Training day, I think, is what picks him back up again. I'm looking at training day. He was great in training day. He's when, when did Gattaca come out? I love Gattaca. Gattaca, actually, I was going to bring Gattaca up, and I didn't know if you'd seen it. I saw Gattaca at the movie theater, and I'll always remember seeing that. That came out in 97. Gattaca was actually a really good movie. Yeah, you I ever mean, seen the Before Sunrise movies? Of course. I love the Before movies. Uh, I'll have to watch them, and we'll have to do a deep dive, because I've never seen those. But that's something that I really want to watch. I haven't, I haven't seen them in a while, so let me know when you do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, definitely. Um, but, but 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 the point I want to make is like now is versus where Kevin Bacon he's basically doing indie movies and like he's making his like he's on a CBS procedural or something. Like he had a movie come out on Peacock the same weekend the Black Phone did, and yeah, he did. granted the Black Phone did you had, had a movie you release. Did you happen to read the synopsis of this Kevin Bacon movie? No, because it, it looks dumb. Well, he's like, it sounds like it's like Jason at like a conversion camp for teens. Like, like teens, like who, like maybe aren't feeling who they should be, but he's like the creepy counselor who's going to try to stalk them at this camp. But you mean like, not good, not good. Ethan Hawke is finding a way to stay relevant that Kevin Bacon isn't. Well, because again, I think Kevin Bacon is like, Ethan, honestly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just cut right to the chase here. Ethan Hawke is is a better actor than Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon just happens to be in some pretty cool movies. Um, did you ever see uh, what's that? Super with uh, Rain Wilson, James Gunn's yeah. first movie. I love like, him as the bad guy in Super and yeah. First Class. Like great yeah, back to back. He's great. He's great. Even like in Hollow Man, he's in Paul Verhoeven's Hollow Man. He's good as a bad guy. I mean. He just, but then look at Ethan Hawke and like even the Black Phone, even though that wasn't like my favorite movie, Ethan Hawke just comes across as more cool. Maybe I, maybe that's what I mean. He's more cool. But but Kevin Bacon made a career of being a great fourth lead in a movie, and he's not doing that anymore. And I don't know if the opportunity is cop car. What'd you think of cop car? I didn't see. I want to because I really like the first two episodes of The Old Man, and obviously I like the Spider Man movies. No, I mean, but... again, it's 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 okay. But like again, but like you know, would, would we would we know of Cop Car if John Watts no. didn't go on to do the no. Spider Man movies? Probably not. Although the although the name in the box looked real cool to me, but no, I would not have known about it, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so like he he can carry a movie, but like the movies he's most like well known, like I shouldn't say most well known. He's in a lot of well known movies where he essentially plays the fourth lead, like um, a few good men. He's like yeah. the 10th lead in that movie. And, you know, in Mystic River, he's like the fourth lead. Um, like, he, he, that's like weirdly his lane. Like, Diner, he's in, obviously it's earlier in his career, yeah. but, you know, the, the whole six degrees of second, ba- uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon is because he's been, um, you know, in so many ensemble casts because he, he was willing to be more of an ensemble more than his contemporaries were. And I, I don't, I mean, maybe they're just not, obviously they're not making like movies like they did in the nineties, but you're telling me he, he still can't be I will tell the you fourth what, lead in something. And I've left and I'll leave it on this note for me with Kevin Bacon. I know you don't have Showtime, but if you did have Showtime, 
and you watched his television show, City on a Hill, on Showtime. He is he is amazing on that show. And it stars Eldis Hodge, who's in Straight Out of Compton, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, it's got other great actors in that show. Um, he's awesome in the show. And that's just the thing. Sometimes he's in some things that people see. And a lot of times he's in things that people shouldn't see at all, like the NBC Peacock show. But what... I actually, I don't doubt that he's good or that the show is good. He's but, just Kevin Bacon, though. Like, did you like Mystic River? Um, for what it was, yes. And okay, if you love Mystic River, I guarantee anyone who did it wasn't because of Kevin Bacon. He was low man no, on the quota pole no, in the acting uh, category. Uh, he was like the third or fourth lead in that movie. Like, obviously, that Sean like Penn's acting, movie. Like being like good acting in the movie. His acting was just Kevin Bacon. He was but I mean, him. he's. You don't, nobody watches a few good men because of Kevin Bacon. No, that's like, what I mean. Nobody watches Mystic. They were like Sean Penn was great in Mystic River. Kevin Bacon was was good. Right, but like you can still be. But that's kind of the point I'm making, though, is that he is he's good in those roles, and I don't know why he's not doing that to stay relevant. I have I'm not making any comment on the quality of the show, but yeah. most more people like. In the realm of like, if you want a show to pop off, like when we do the Emmy nominations, when we talk about them yeah. in a couple of weeks, like the Yellow Jackets is going to be more of a surprise than the norm because it's a lot of Netflix shows and it's a lot of HBO shows and you know Hulu and like other shows are able to 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 pull through and it's it's harder for a Showtime show. But I to, to pull through because I believe it's because. People are honestly, I'll, I'm gonna say, I'm not even gonna cut my chase right here, and I'm gonna say it. People are so up their ass on Netflix. Netflix is a joke compared to Showtime, honestly. But that's that's like the shy. That show is such a beautiful, great show that nobody's watching. They're watching The Bear, which don't get me wrong, The Bear is really good, but The Shy really puts The Bear to shame. When you're talking about the city and what it stands for and all the different cultural different things, and everyone's watching The Bear, The Bear, The Bear, The Bear. But nobody watches The Shy. And, you know, it's going to be sad because that's like The Wire. Nobody watched The Wire. And guess what happened? Oh, you should watch The Wire now. It's great. Well, why didn't you watch it when it came out? I didn't know Sesame Street Muppets were watching The Wire. but They were a uh, privacy frog. <laughs> that's it's, my favorite voice to do. You're 100% right. Like, Netflix, Netflix shows is like does get too much praise. But, like, for someone well, like right. me who, who does love stuff, like, you I'm paying love, for Netflix. You, this way. you would love, if you love I, I'm still in awe that you love Euphoria, which is I'm excited for his new show. That uh, that's oh man, we're gonna be talking some Sam. Uh, yeah, Sam I Levinson. love I love him because I know you like him and you like that show. Yellow Jackets isn't even that nuts, and it's a great show that I know that you would like. Um, it's shot great, and I was just looking at they just for the new season, some of the characters, some of the actors that signed on, but we'll see if it wins. You know, that's where it comes. Does does it win? You know, we'll find out soon. You know, let's just, I think that's a perfect transition because Sam Levinson, the reason I love Euphoria is because of a 2018 movie he made called Assassination Nation, nice. which I think has so much of the elements of what Euphoria is. It's these four teenage girls, one of them who is trans. And um, it's a really fun story about when one of the football players hooks up with one of the trans girls and becomes embarrassed and like one of the other girls is um sleeping with joel McHale's character so basically this entire suburban town tries to murder these four girls um yeah. 
and it's a really fun movie. If you like Euphoria, definitely check it out. It was good. Um, it didn't make my top ten of the two thousand my top ten movies of uh, two thousand eighteen, um, but it did make my short list of honorable mentions. Well, let's hear your list, and as you go down your list, I'm going to cross off my list, and then I'll cover the ones that you didn't say really quick. I'm going to go through this somewhat fast because I do want to talk about Daniel Craig, James yeah. Bond. Yeah, so let's go through right. it. So number 10, a movie I talked about before, is uh, Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. Excellent. Um, definitely an underrated movie. It stars Thor and John Hamm and Dakota Johnson, and it's uh, just I really like, like what's her name? Um, what's her name who started it? Cynthia Revo. Yes, yes. Who's also in Widows, too. She's really good. Yeah. It's Drew Goddard. You know, he, he wrote some really good science fiction and genre stuff like The Cabin in the Woods, and he got a chance to – he wrote and directed it. It's it's really good. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Number nine is um, – and it's mainly carried by the first half in the performances, but it's Bradley Cooper as A Star is Born. Yes, that's a good one. Uh, number eight is my boy Yorgos Lanthimos with The Favorite. Nice. Um, number seven is just a really like one like there's like a subgenre and we were talking about this a little bit before with uh, the action movie book club when we were talking about um, you know LA heist movies and one of my favorite it's basically like a bunch of heat knockoffs is uh, Den of Thieves okay good 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 number six is a movie we did before when we did our uh, it was a battle versus Venom and that is Upgrade oh yes excellent Number five is A Quiet Place. Yes, that's a good one. I think everyone is familiar with that movie. Definitely people are going to be familiar with my number four, Infinity War. Yes. I totally didn't even have that one written down. That was definitely a good pick. Uh, Number three is Adam McKay's Vice. Didn't even have that one written down. Where am I at? That's a good one, too. Number two is a definitely haven't heard of it. It's a tiny documentary um, about these like three skaters and teenagers in Rockford, Illinois, and it's kind of this really great documentary all about the cycle of generation, generational abuse, and like um, the opposite of generational wealth. And it's called Minding the Gap. Oh, okay. I never heard of that one. It's a. Uh, I don't even think I got Academy Award buzz, but it's a really great documentary. I loved it a lot. I think you can. Check it out on Hulu. It was on Hulu. I don't know if it still is. And then the number one movie is another Marvel movie because for, I think, 2018 is decently deep, but I don't think it's very good at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I like this movie, it wouldn't be number one in almost any other year, and that's uh, Black Panther. Oh, yes. Excellent. That was an excellent, excellent, excellent list. And I have some honorable mentions, but I'll mention them after some uh, after you go. All right, really quick here, because mine are like literally every type of movie. I really liked Straight Outta Compton. Did you like that one? I liked the first act, and then the second half felt like a Wikipedia entry of everything <laughs> NWA had done. Those, they, like, all, they all do. Yeah. Like, they, that's, they, all I, just, they all are just like, that's what I am with a fork, just eating up that Wikipedia with the, it, it, with the stuff. But you're right. I mean that's that's what it I is. mean it's a pro- it's not just NWA, like all music biopics have yeah. that issue. But after the Detroit concert, I was like, like there's literally a point where the um, I love Ice Cube's son is playing Ice Cube. That part was great. Like the casting is great um, all around. But like there's a point where he's literally writing the script to Friday. I'm like, okay, that has. There's a point where he kicks out a hooker and goes, "Bye, Felicia." I'm like, okay, let's 
Calm down. Okay, these three comedies, Game Night, Tag, and Blockers. Did you see those three? Um, I did see all three. The best one is to me is very is obviously Blockers. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Leslie Mann, Ike Barinholtz, and John Cena Good. doing their thing. The kids are great. I thought that movie was like a, a fun, like, raunchy, Judd like Apatow Plemons. style movie. I like Plemons and Game Night. Our boy Plemons and Game yeah, Night. he was to me. He was the best part of Game Night. He was. He was the best part. Um, I liked the It remake. Was pretty good. Um, I liked Annihilation. That was what's his name's movie. Um, oh, the the second one. Uh, Alex Garland, the guy who did Ex Machina. You ever see that Annihilation? I did see Annihilation, and it's um, Alex Garland. Like I like him and respect him, but like. He makes the movies that are a little bit too heady for even me. Oh, yeah. That's a heady movie. How about these two movies? Did you like The Black Klansman? I thought it was solid. It didn't... Did you like White Boy Rick? Did you ever see that? No, I didn't see White. That's the McConaughey movie, right? Yeah, that was a pretty good. And this is what I wanted to leave this uh, little thing. Oh, and one more before I say this last thing. Uh, did you ever see uh, Don't Worry, You Won't Get Far on Foot? I've never heard of it. That's the one where what's his name's uh it's Joaquin Phoenix. He's in the wheelchair. I don't and think it, I'm even familiar with this movie. You never seen this movie? No. Oh, this is oh my gosh, you're gonna love this movie. Um it's called uh, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. It's a true story. It's got Joaquin, it's got Jonah Hill, it's got uh oh, what's his name's really good in it, Jack Black. Um, it's a drama. And it's like, uh, it's about this writer who, it's a true story about the writer, John Callahan, who um, I think he, he lost his, in a drunk, in a drunk driving accident, he lost his whole bottom half of his body. So he has to try to relearn how to live life. And I'm pretty sure Jack Black was the one driving the car that night. So it's like trying to forgive, trying to learn, trying to live. It's a good movie, really good. Um, he's also really good in Sisters Brothers with uh, John C. Riley. I'm sure you probably didn't see that one. Um, the last thing I was going to say is HBO always comes out with really. That's oh, a Gus Van Sant movie. Don't yeah. worry, he won't get. I honestly yeah. never even heard of this movie. This movie snuck. This movie, like literally, like when I say you are the one who told me about that one movie, the Jesse Plemons one on Netflix. What was that one along? Windfall. I, no, the one before that one where it was like really creepy. Was it? And it was like it was with him, right? Not him. Was he the one in it? it? It had a really cool. It was really trippy. I'll think of it here in a minute. It might not even have been Plemons. It might have been someone else. But the point is, is that uh, it sneaks under the radar. This movie, but it's really, really, really good. Uh, are you? Did you like? This is the last thing I was going to say. HBO comes out with these movies. Um, did you like the Paterno movie with El Pacino playing Paterno? God, I. That movie could be good, and it, it would, <laughs> I would never know. I, I avoid those movies. Like, did you ever watch? This was a good one. Did you ever watch with uh, what's his name from Game of Thrones playing um, My Dinner with Herb? He like plays the like, guy tattoo from uh, Fantasy Island. That was good. Or Fahrenheit 451 with Michael Shanahan and Michael B. Jordan. That was. I good. Uh, yeah, I saw that that one. I didn't. I thought the acting was good. I didn't think the. It's not a good was. movie. It's but it, it's cool because they're like burning books and stuff. That that's cool. But in the movie, it looks pretty cool. Two other honorable mentions I yes. had were uh, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Yes. 
And uh, Mariel Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yes, very good. That last one, I have to rewatch that one. I only watched that one once. It's got an excellent Melissa McCarthy performance. And Richard E. Grant's pretty good in it, too. Um, He's awesome. I mean, you, you wouldn't know. Say that one again. Say that movie again. What's it called? Can You Ever Forgive Me? That's the one with Melissa McCarthy. I never remember that movie. And that movie snuck up on me, too, because I watched that movie a couple of years later. Now I remember it. Because at first I was like, I only saw that once. No, that was a good movie. Richard E. Grant, that's where I he became on my radar. Definitely, like it's like if you're just flipping through the channels. I think it, it was on HBO for the longest time. Like that's where I think looking I for something to something to watch, definitely would recommend. And other films I would recommend are three out of five Daniel Craig James Bond movies. <laughs> and we have we have reached the end of our James Bond. This is how we're gonna end the night. James Bond. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, three of the five are pretty much where I fall. What three are you picking? Uh, Casino Royale, Skyfall, and No Time to Die. Oh, okay. I'm going to go Casino, Skyfall, and Spectre. You like, uh, you like Spectre? I like, I like, yes, I like what's his name, Inspector. Christopher Waltz. I think he holds it. I mean, even though I think he's better than what's his name, Rami Malik, and No Time to Die. I didn't really like No Time to Die, but that's that was that's me. Um, that's a pretty like I'm a big Sam Mendes fan, and to me, the only bad movie he's made to me like he's made some ones that are obviously better than others. What but to you me, like about Spectre? I didn't like the plot mechanics that Blofeld, which is Christoph Waltz's character, yeah, was really the mastermind behind the previous three movies. Yeah. Because the three movies didn't really set that up. There wasn't like you needed Easter eggs or breadcrumbs or something. And well, and you know, this is the crazy part. Seven different people played, or I could be off there. It's around five to seven that played Blofeld. So, like, he's a character that to really understand the series, you have to watch them all. So that's why probably, and it didn't make sense to me either. Because as I watched that, I'm like, huh, who's this guy? Um, but like, I don't know why, you know, but that's part of a series, I guess. But I, but see, I, I think to me, I think that's why I didn't like it because it was the most James Bondy yeah, thing yeah. from the franchise as a whole in which the series was moving away from. So the thing that, you know, it kicked off with Casino Royale and it really kicked off with that awesome parkour. You know, if we did edits, yeah. just edited from the office, Michael Scott go parkour. Uh, that really amazing parkour chase scene, but Casino Royale, like so Daniel Craig is on record saying like part of the reason they went in this direction with the franchise was because of the awesome powers movies. Like if they went campy, um it would well, they, like uh, it would seem too much like awesome powers, so they had to go in the other direction. Well, the other the last one they did with Pierce Bronson, the one with Madonna was so bad that if they didn't go this route. I mean, I don't know if they would have, this would have been successful. I mean, this was a successful five movie run. Um, no Time to Die would have been actually a lot more successful if it actually got to be released at the theater like it was supposed to. Um, unfortunately, the pandemic and all that put that on hold for a while. And I don't know if that really hurt any of its box office, but. Well, at least with the, the, the Pierce Brosnan movies, I think they were like, they They're had, a, well, yeah, they had a lot of silly, like, 
80s 90s action movie vibe to them but they still took the series in a more serious direction than those like 70s movies but then the the like you know especially considering the the sam mendes and carrie joji fukunaga directing the three last movies like they got real directors to direct these movies like to get sam mendes to do skyfall like was such a huge step in the right direction for this franchise and getting fucking roger deakins to (laughs) to be the director of photography for your james bond movie like legendary um director of photography who works a lot with denny villeneuve and the coen brothers but also works a lot with mendes as well you know did the also aforementioned 1917 but that fight scene where you know bonds in the top of the tower and you see the shadows like this is not a fucking normal james bond movie this is a fucking awesome just incredible like he got nominated for an academy award for being the dp of a bond movie yeah like that doesn't normally happen but these movies are like this also it probably started with casino royale too like started this era of elevated action movies where I think between um, the early Bond stuff and Nolan's Batman movies, and it's right before the MCU, where it really sets this era for these elevated action movies. Like even though Martin Campbell, who directed Casino Royale, isn't like necessarily this like all-time holy shit director, and I think directed a couple of the Brosnan movies, like it definitely looks and feels so much better and more stylistic and more cinematic than those the the cheesiness like there's no cheese that those Brazen movies had oh no well matt i i really like the villain in the in casino royale you know mad millison you know i mean that's where i get my introduction to him i wouldn't know who he was if i didn't see him yeah okay mads mickelson um uh javier bardem christoph waltz rami malik like also part of the reason Quantum of Solace probably didn't work is that I don't I can't even I don't I didn't do no, any research I, for the whole <laughs> lot of research for this so I don't know who played the villain in that but like that's a fucking that's probably like the Mount Rushmore of like character actors as bad guys almost yeah, yeah. I mean that's not uh, you know that's the it's yeah the person who played the bad guy I'm looking here in Quantum Solace nobody of, of Matthew Almerick, never even heard of this guy. Um, he's in he's in like Grand Budapest Hotel in Munich. Like he's a, a foreign actor, but but that was the problem with Quantum Solace. That was why a lot of people were upset was because it was almost a huge drop off from Casino Royale. I mean, Quantum Solace is a completely different movie um, than than that movie. It's not, so it's not I that movie per se, but yeah. I actually I like it better than the general consensus. Yeah. But it is a movie about a dude trying to steal water from Central America. And it's like, why is James Bond getting involved in this? Like <laughs> he feels like he's involved in this because like you're you get caught up in the movie, but you take a step back and it's like and it, that's a part of the reason that Spectre didn't work either, where something like Casino Royale makes sense because they're looking after the financier of international terrorism. Okay, 
Bond should totally get involved in that. Skyfall is about a rogue MI6 agent coming back specifically at M and then partially Bond. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then, like, with Blofeld, it's like, I guess, you know, like, they did try to tie it back that he's, like, grew up in the same orphanage as Bond. I've but, heard, though, like, but, like, like uh, Adam, who was on the show a while ago, he's a huge Bond fan, and he said it was, he was agreed with you, and he said it was stupid because it really doesn't make sense for the actually, like I said, it's part of the storyline, but actually in the whole storyline, if you knew the whole storyline, it actually would probably piss you off more that it makes even less sense to the whole. Of Quantum of Solace? No, uh, Blofeld in oh. that other, in. in um, the Inspector? In, yeah. So, like, you know, that's the problem with these movies is is that sometimes, which is weird because you think it would be easy to coincide everything, but. But it's, so, okay. The franchise had done a really great job of modernizing Bond. I mean, when you think about um, Q, um, Ben Wishaw, who gets yeah. first introduced in Skyfall, yeah. you know, he was like an older gentleman in the Brosnan movies. And then, oh, yeah, he, of course, would be a dude in his 30s being a tech bro for <laughs> them. You know, like, and then he, he like, gives him, like, a specialized gun as the first weapon or something like that. Like, that's such a smart modern take where you're introducing part of the past franchise into this modern take that you have in the movie and versus, and they did that well in Skyfall and they, they just, they, they bumbled it for me, Inspector, where they tried to do like bring in the past, you know, obviously Bond is rooted in a lot of cheesiness and a lot of giant criminal conspiracy organizations. And I know Blofeld is a major character in the James Bond franchise, but I thought they just didn't do a great job of bringing him into the phone in this modern iteration. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's just more, maybe it could be more of the fact that I just ignored, <laughs> I ignored the fact because it's Christoph Waltz. But when you put it, like when it's put like that or when other people put it like that, I definitely agree. But you know, Christoph Waltz, like I love him as an actor. Obviously he's great in the Tarantino movies, but he 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 plays a great bad guy but he and he always gives it his all but he's done it in a lot more bad movies than good like i think we've talked about this before but like he's in that tarzan movie that came out like uh, 15 years ago yeah um, where he's the bad guy he's in the yeah. bad guy in one of the horrible bosses movie i think it's the second horrible bosses movie <laughs> yeah he's ridiculous and again this like to his credit he always gives it his all i appreciate it it's just <laughs> The movie yeah, like, know, doesn't know. know how to use them well. I know a lot of people have. A, I, I do agree. A lot of people have a problem with it. So, where do you think it's going? Do you think they'll do another one? You know, I mean, what, what, what do you think I mean, do Daniel else? Daniel Craig obviously is. So he's done. I think he's. I done. mean, if you so like they because you were talking about No Time to Die not doing that well in the box yeah. office because they were owned by MGM and MGM was like they needed this movie to come yeah. out in theaters and people in theaters to like yeah. help it. Oh, and yeah. it, it was doing so poorly that they ended up getting sold to, I think, Amazon bought MGM. Yep. You know, I think MGM also owned a League of Their Own, which is why I think Amazon is doing a League of Their Own well, TV makes, show to bring it back full circle. That makes sense. That makes um, sense. I mean, but like in this age of franchise, like you have to, excuse me, you have to reboot Bond. They're going to reboot it. And if they're smart, they'll do it with the black actor. Yeah. Um, I just Elba. Bring them up. 
Oh, he would be so. And Idris Elba, I feel like, hasn't been in a whole lot of good movies, but he'd be Ollie, so. I want to see that new Lion movie he's in, just because he's in. <laughs> Did you see that trailer? Yeah, you sent it to me, and I didn't say anything back because. No, I know. I think it looks it, silly. It looks like Anaconda with a lion. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know what? The most dangerous thing that James, that Daniel Craig's James Bond mo- does in his five movies. What? The most dangerous thing he does is in Skyfall, where. He meets up with a sex worker, a known sex worker, and then fucks her without a condom. <laughs> that is the most dangerous thing he does. Bro. It makes you to believe, like, why doesn't he have any kids? Did you, there was an old SNL skit. Well, it wasn't kids, it was James Bond gets an STD and he has to call all his old partners. Really? There was a I have to look that up. I don't I don't it's like hard to find. It was like um in the nineties and it's like <laughs> Ernie. No 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 don't get Bert or yeah, get Bert. This involves him too. Like it was it was That's just good. uh I think That's it was like good. Hartman or something. Like yeah. Uh, um but Excellent. Daniel so you know to Daniel Craig's credit, like every actor who plays Bond is gonna star in a stinker. Yeah. And to make, I think, does he, how many did Connery do? Did he do more than four? Uh, yeah. Connery did about six or seven. I'll give you the exact. Oh, okay. So then, then it's like, I think Craig did the second most, like, then yeah. at five. Uh, Craig, did the, Craig did the third, the third most. Roger, oh. Moore, Roger Moore did the most, then Sean Connery, then it was um, Craig. And then it was Pierce, and then it was Timothy Dalton, and then George Lazenby. Okay, I don't know where I heard that the five was. No matter. Um, you know, to do that many James Bond movies, like, I think he probably, I mean, maybe Sean Connery does, but, like, sometimes you have to divorce the Bond conversation of but Sean Connery because he's clearly the best and stuff, but... Connery was in seven. Yeah. Them, okay. So real cheesy. No one talking about. Is that in the eighties when uh, Roger Moore was still the role, um, another company who owned some of the rights of the original James Bond, they brought Connery back, and in the same year, two James Bond movies came out with like each of them. It was really stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Bond movies as a whole are are good, and I think J- Daniel Craig really did a good job. You know. Yeah, and I was just gonna say that like. The fact that he say that he did that many Bond movies and he still has a like probably a better batting average than most every other actor besides yeah. Connery, yeah, is you know credit to him. And um, one thing I wanted to bring up with the Casino Royale real quick is that um, this movie that came out in I think two thousand six, so it has parkour, and the climax scene involves um, heads up poker, yeah, which is some of the most dated things ever. <laughs> so the fact that Casino Royale is in the conversation is like one of the best Bond movies ever, despite it being super dated to the mid two thousands, is like a real testament to how good that movie is. Yeah, I mean that's that's well, that's that's what they. What's odd is that in sixty seven they came up with another Casino Royale. It was called, and Peter Sellers starred in it, and it was a James Bond, another James Bond. It's not part of the series. But uh, Casino Royale was actually like one of the original Bond titles that they were throwing around. So it's cool that I believe that that movie, Casino Royale, it's the closest thing to those 
original feelings of the original like Connery ones, I think, personally. And also does I think the original story involves like Bacharach or something. Yeah. Yeah. It does. And so yeah. to to modernize it for poker for yeah. two thousand six is like I mean, Chef's Kiss, like really smart. Like, is Casino Royale the best poker movie that's not named Rounders? Like, I Could think be. it might be. Could be. Could I think be. it's legit yeah, it's in the conversation. That's actually very interesting when people bring up card games to bring up Casino Royale. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome show, my friend. Are you happy to be done with the Bond talk now? I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. Ex- I am exhausted on Bond. So, yes. Yes, I am. These these last these last ten were a stretch. I made it though. I made it, my man. Yeah, next time you do a gimmick, do it for a franchise that has less movies. Yes, I know. I, I picked the longest one to get started, so now everything less will seem a lot easier. Do you want to do a Marvel rewatch and talk about it? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh man, I will my head will explode, especially after all those titles you mentioned earlier. <laughs> When um, the pandemic like really first hit and Disney Plus came out with uh, like every Marvel movie on it, my wife and I did a rewatch, but we we watched it in chronological order yeah. of when the movie takes place in. Yeah, and uh, that was a dumb idea. Like we <laughs> we started like it starts with um, the first Captain America, and then the second movie is Captain Marvel. Oh, geez. but then. For the most part, it's basically just the consecutive order. I was like, "Who cares if we watch Captain Marvel first or last?" This was this was dumb. <laughs> you don't need to do that. You can just watch them in the order those movies came out or whatever. It's just it's that, fine. That's what I said to someone about the Star Wars. I'm like, just watch them the way they came out. You'll enjoy them probably more. I don't know, but definitely a good show, my man. All right, we finally. Got kept. We had Kevin Bacon we made it. scheduled for like three episodes. He made it this time. Finally, was able to talk about Kevin Bacon, even though I haven't seen a new movie of his in years. In a long time, yes. <laughs> All right, talk to you next week. All Wait, right. Let me let me do this. I forgot to do this. Got to do the sign offs. Yeah. And I got James Bond music to play us out. So go ahead. Nice. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. You can find our podcast at Spotify and Amazon and Apple. Please like and subscribe. Please leave a comment. You can always reach out to us via Twitter at the hookup 18 for this podcast. Tony posts a lot of great movie related content, like the science fiction battle we talked about at the beginning. It's a lot of fun. A lot of great talk to get involved. A lot of great ways to get involved in the conversation. If you want to reach out to me specifically, you can find me on Twitter at Millennial Socks. If you want to reach out to Tony, you can find him on Twitter at Chelsea 01. The White Sox lost because it's the first game of the series. So enjoy. hope you enjoyed this podcast as a way to keep your mind off of the White Sox being a bad, important word franchise. Honestly, honestly I, don't want to, I don't want to say anything, but this is the greatest thing we've ever come up with because I would have gone insane if we never did. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. We'll talk to you next week. Remember, if you are going to have sex with a hooker, wear rubber. Peace out. Peace.
Welcome to the final thought for tonight. Tonight, I'm going to get in my feelings a little bit. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. Stand by me. This movie, ironically, came out 26 years ago, just this past week. The movie is based off of the book, The Body by Stephen King, directed by Rob Reiner. The movie was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Adapted Screenplay, and two Golden Globes for Best Drama Motion Picture, and Best Director. I don't know. I feel like it's a lot more than that. As a kid, when I would watch this movie, it would always make me feel like you want friends like this. Friends where you can go on a journey. Friends where you can, well, go anywhere you want with. And in this particular story, the four gentlemen in the store story, Gordy, Chris, Teddy, and Vern, they go on a trip looking for, as the Stephen King book said, a body. And while looking for this body that supposedly was hit by a train and no one was able to find, they're able to find themselves and find out something about themselves. While growing up in this, this time period that seems so far away, the Labor Day weekend of 1959. Labor Day's coming up in a couple weeks. That's something I didn't even know. I didn't realize that this movie took place over Labor Day weekend. Um, cool things about the movie was that it takes place in Castle Rock, which is well, a lot of where a lot of Stephen King's stories take place. The movie's just loaded from front to back with the type of things that you'd like to see in movies. It's, it's a story that if you're young, to me, it's the most, it's one of the most stories where you could really tap into each other, tap into each self and find things out. I think that's what Rob Reiner did great about the movie was that he shot it and it felt like you were there with them. Screenplay by Bruce A. Evans and Ray, Rinald Gideon made that all come to light. In the background, you hear the music. Buddy Holly's Every Day. Let the Good Times Roll. Lollipop. Great Balls of Fire. The Book of Love. All on the soundtrack. Amazing, amazing soundtrack. Really, really cool was that this is probably one of the coolest things that I read was that he had these guys, Reiner and producers interviewed more than 70 people for the role for the four boys before settling on River Phoenix, Jerry O'Connell, Will Wheaton, and Corey Feldman, which to me, I can never imagine anyone else in this movie besides them. Also in the movie is John Cusack. Really, really heart-grabbing role. Days before the filming of this movie was to begin, 
embassy was sold to Columbia Pictures, who made plans to cancel the production. Norman Lear, the co-owner of Embassy and the developer of All in the Family, gave $7.5 million of his own money to complete the film, citing the faith in Reiner and the script. So let's just say that if this guy did not know who Rob Reiner was and did not believe in the script, this movie would never have been made. According to screenwriter Raynald Gideon, the body sounded like either a sex film, a bodybuilding film, or another Stephen King horror film. Rob came up with Stand By Me, and it ended up being the least unpopular option. Really, really, really awesome. You can't, you can't really go, what's the word I'm saying, wrong with Rob Reiner in the director's chair in this movie. Can't really go wrong with a lot of things about this movie. Um, the one thing that I will say is it's a great movie that has lasted the test, lasted the test of time. Um, again, a critical a narrative um, Stephen King was very impressed with the film. On the 25th anniversary, King indicated that he considered the film to be his most success, his first successful translation to film of any of his works. Um, Reiner recalled that after a private early screening of the film, King excused himself for 15 minutes to compose himself. He later returned and remarked, that's the best film ever made out of anything I've written. It's hard not to, to you know, for me, I watch this movie all the time and it's hard for me not to tear up not because it's a sad movie but because of how much this movie means to me movie is 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 a definite one of a kind so if you've never seen stand by me go out and take a look just go out and watch it rent it find it view it you won't regret it but that being said i want to enjoy I said I want to enjoy I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Excellent show. A lot of great topics. A lot of fun. Great sci-fi picks. All the way to talking about the new Game of Thrones. Thank you so much. I want to thank my co-host as always, Adam at Millennial Socks, for joining uh, joining me. Always, always a great time. So thank you so much for letting the hookup on film be your choice. And please, if you get a chance, check out Stand By Me, if nothing more, for the great film and cinematography um, that is, takes place in the, in the film. The cinematography is by Thomas Del Ruth. It's really something to behold. Really awesome. Thank you so much, and I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week.